Thank you. Well done, Jacinta. Oh, thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Welcome to church. Uh, see, you're all getting the message of 9.30. This is good. Some people still, it's good to see you early at church this morning. Fantastic. Now, but what I did notice, there's a group of wonderful ladies here today dressed up really beautifully, right? And I wonder if the ladies from Vanuatu, whether you could stand and we could just give them an official, why don't you stand? Because they're all dressed so beautifully. Yeah. Thank you. You know, I, uh, I was taught that when we present ourselves to God, we should wrap ourselves in good clothes. And uh, these ladies have certainly wrapped themselves up today and just look beautiful. So uh, we thank you that you're here. And let's just welcome anyone else who's here for the first time as well. We're just glad that you're here. So today, I'm going to continue uh, on my series on the book of 1 Peter. All right, so last week we did chapter 1. And uh, hopefully we can do this in five weeks, but this one was long, right? So uh, strap yourselves in. I've got 38 minutes to do this. All right. But I must admit that when uh, on Friday morning I came to, you know, kind of prepare for this message, I actually sat down at my desk with a tinge of excitement in my spirit because I actually love going through the Bible. I actually love just looking at it, and I love the opportunity to actually teach from the Bible. I, I love the fact that I can get this book that was written over 2,000 years ago and hopefully make it as relevant as if it was written this morning. I, you know, that it actually answers and speaks to real life, no matter what culture you're from, no matter when you were born, no matter how it is that you live, that there's something of the Word that brings life. And there's something of the Word that can actually do something in your spirit. So today I pray that you would enjoy listening to me as much as I enjoyed writing this sermon. So let's pray. Father, I pray that you would take your Word and that you would make it real, that you would make it life, that you would bring it to change people, strengthen and challenge people, Lord God. That conviction would be wrought through your word. But more than all of that, that faith would, Father, be, would be made through your word today. Let people hear what you have to say. In Jesus' name, amen. So a little recap. The book of 1 Peter is written by the Apostle Peter. He's writing to Christians who are living in hostile cities. So they're not in Jerusalem. They're, they're Christians that have been through persecution. They've either been scattered to far-off lands or they were in those far-off lands and they've become Christians. They've become converted Christians. It's a, it's a book trying to teach how to live a Christian life in a hostile place, a place where Christianity maybe isn't accepted, where Christianity isn't the flavor of the day and that because of that, there comes persecution. Because of its geographical location or because of the societal persecution, being a Christian is hard. It isn't easy to walk out your faith in these environments. So that's who he's writing to. It's written to people who are going through a hard time because of their faith and who don't have 
an instant answer to that problem. Well, that problem isn't gonna go away just because they prayed hard enough. That problem isn't gonna just be taken away because it's just easy. No, this is something they've gotta actually get through. See, if you need God to take away every problem that you have, you're actually headed for disappointment one day. There are things that we have to endure Part of the fruit of the Spirit is perseverance. You've got to get through the other side because God is doing something in that. So look at this scripture. Judges 3.1. These are the nations that the Lord left in the land, that the Lord left in the land to test those Israelites who had not experienced the wars of Canaan. He did this. There was a reason behind that to teach warfare to generations of Israelites who had no experience in battle. Do you know God wants you to have experience with battle? God wants you to be able to fight. There's a fight for our faith. Paul said at the end of his life, I fought the good fight. If you think it's just about you just receiving, no, there's a fight in following Jesus. God wants warriors, not people who worry, but warriors, right? He wants people with some fight in them, people who don't run away at the first disappointment, people who can endure and persevere. Paul writes this letter to people who need to persevere in their current circumstances, but to people for whom it wasn't gonna get better anytime soon. And so we see that chapter one focuses people on eternity, It says you're not gonna be here forever. There is an eternity that is certain for you. So have an eternal mindset to see your current reality in when your current reality isn't good, when your current reality is tough, where your current reality may not be so good for a time. So let's actually get to the book, all right? So 1 Peter 2 verse one. Therefore, laying aside all malice, all deceit, all hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking, as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. So chapter two begins with the word therefore. So as I learned in my very first day of Bible college, right, if you see the word therefore, you must ask the question, what is it? Very good. All right. So chapter two doesn't begin on its own. Chapter two has to be joined because it begins with the word therefore. Chapter two is actually joined to chapter one. So what's happening is that chapter two is explaining or uh, extrapolating from what was just written. So let's have a look at what was just written. It is saying that This is how what was just written affects this. This is what it means. So let's have a look at the last verses of chapter one. You know it's a long sermon when I haven't even reached, like, and I'm going back to chapter one, all right? 1 Peter 1 verse 24, all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man is the flowers of the grass, as the grass withers and its flowers fall away, and it's, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Now this is the word, which by the gospel was preached to you. So chapter one finishes by telling us that 
the stuff of this life, this world, is like grass. The stuff is just withers and fades away. Now, I had the blessing once of going to the Masai Mara in Kenya. It's, it's grassland. It's, it's amazing. And because of the amount of grass, there are animals everywhere. Like literally, I just got sick of seeing zebras and wildebeest and, oh, just another giraffe, just another elephant. Oh, yeah, who cares? Right, like you just get, it's so, it just becomes common. I remember waking up, going out, and there's literally a zebra about 50 meters away. Oh, yeah. Right, like, you know, like because there's just so many because of the grass. But there's thing called a great migration where they follow the growing of the grass because there comes a time where where all that grass was isn't so much anymore. So they move over, I think, into the Serengeti and then they come back again. And they do this great migration following the grass because grass doesn't last. All of us, our lawns at home, aren't that great at the moment because it's coming into growing season, right? Our, our grass, there's some disease got into mine, right? It's horrible, I hate it, right? But grass withers, grass fades away. And that's what happens with these things of this life. No matter how good your grass is, no matter how much you have, no matter how high position you hold, no matter how famous you are, it's actually all temporal, it actually doesn't last. It eventually will wither and fade. So it's the eternal that actually matters. Everything else withers and fades. So setting your mind on things above, setting your mind on things above is simple wisdom. And it's the word of God that was preached to you in the gospel in Jesus Christ that focuses you on his word and focuses you on the eternal. Have that eternal mindset. So we're up to our first word. So what? So that's what the therefore is there for. So we get right back at verse one again. All right, therefore, because of all the other things, because of your eternal mindset, laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, and all evil speaking. Now what I like about this language is it means lay it aside. It means you've got it. It means that what's happened gives you reason enough to have some malice, gives you reason enough to have some deceit, but you decide to lay it aside. I'm not gonna use it. Life may have caused me to do this. I, I have the ability to take on malice, deceit, hypocrisy, evil speaking. I, I could, I've got a reason to, but I decide to lay it aside because I have a eternal mindset. So let's have a look at this. Lay aside malice. So I've got the, I should have some malice, but I lay it aside. And I, and I love this because the world and its media drags you down. You get full of malice. This week, we've got major things that are happening in, in, in our worlds, right? Two major stories. And we could get fights going on in this room if we started to talk about the different opinions of what should and what could and what shouldn't have and shouldn't have and all of these things, we can, we can get a big fight going on and malice comes out of us. And that's what we've got to be actually careful. We, 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 we get so full of malice and say some really ugly things so glibly about the people who hold a different opinion to us. 
And I was really convicted one day when my daughter, when we were watching the news, she's got up and walked out and said, I'm not gonna watch the news with you anymore. And I'm what are you, what are you doing? She goes, the things you say about people are just so mean. And I don't wanna hear it any longer. See, the news and the foolishness that I often saw filled me with malice. I didn't love my enemies, I demonized them. I mocked them. And sometimes, to be honest, I even hated them. They might be wrong. They might be foolish. They might even be tools in the hands of the enemy. But I wanna say Jesus still loves them. Malice has no place in the true Christian's heart. I'm just gonna take a drink. Pregnant pause. Malice has no place in the Christian's heart. Malice is when I'm happy something bad happens to someone. Malice is when I want revenge. Malice is when I want God to show them. Be careful that our modern media and our social media don't just report what matters to them and present, they divide. Many times they're actually designed to divide. We can look at the fact of Israel right now and literally tell you, like, this, this is a big deal. Malice can come in our hearts. We need to be careful. God tells us to pray for peace. doesn't ask us to pray for any particular side. He asks us to pray for peace. And there is no easy answers. I don't, some of the things, it's, it's horrible. No matter what's happened, it's horrible. So be careful in the media that you consume. And I ask you to take this test. After each occasion you watch or read or, or, you know, look at those things. Has malice for someone been created or increased? And if it's increasing and creating malice in your heart, do we need to be reading that stuff? Oh, let's quickly move on, right? If malice has been created, lay it aside. It doesn't mean you don't have a reason. It means because of your conscience towards God, it means because of your heart for eternal matters, you're actually gonna lay that aside. All right, lay aside deceit. Well, I don't really think that needs a lot of explanation. Don't lie, don't exaggerate, don't embellish, don't lead people down a track. That's purposely for your own benefit. Don't be deceitful, that's easy. All right, lay aside hypocrisy. I'm gonna lay it aside. Be yourself. Hypocrisy is when you don't like yourself enough to actually be yourself. So you try and be someone else and you try and be someone that you're not. Now we all wanna put our best foot forward and there's nothing wrong with presenting the best version of yourself, but be yourself. Remember this, God blesses the real you, not the you that you present to people. Right, so let those two things actually be the same and then God will bless you. Aren't you glad you came to church today? All right, okay. Hypocrisy is when you care more about what people think than rather what God thinks. So let's have a heart of how God thinks. Lay aside envy. The Bible tells us to rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Sometimes we turn that the wrong way around. We uh, weep with those rejoicing and we rejoice for those who are weeping. See, envy steals your peace. Envy makes you feel like a victim. Envy creates a narrative in your heart that God has favorites or that 
which God has for you isn't as good as what God has for someone else. Envy creates false stories in your mind and actually brings division amongst people when God is telling us, as God's people, let us be together. Let us be together. Envy will eventually lead you down a path where you say, God's got it wrong. God's wrong. And every time that you get to that place, that is not a healthy place. Also, I wanna say, in your own friendship group, make sure you hang around people that are actually happy when something good happens for you. Right? I, my friends, if something good happens to me, they're for me. They're not secretly jealous. They're not secretly wishing it happened to someone else. Be around people that are genuinely happy for you when something goes good for you. Lay aside slander. Unless you know something to be true, just don't say it. And even if it is true, do you actually need to say it? Slander hurts. We've all been slandered and there's not a single time it had a positive effect. You think, oh, someone slandered me, that's good. That's nice. No, it always hurts. It always gets into our spirit. Slander shouldn't be in a Christian's vocabulary. You know, it's interesting that Peter writes this to Christians who live in a hostile environment. And if you allow the world to shape your worldview rather than the Word of God, it won't be long before there's malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander coming your way of dealing with the world and its obvious unfairnesses. There's unfairnesses in the world. There's unanswerable questions in the world. And if we allow the world to inform our narrative, we always end up in those places. But when we allow the Word of God to inform our worldview, then we understand that God sits atop of all of those things and that He is trustworthy. Chapter two actually deals a lot with the unfairnesses of life. It's actually really the, the big topic of chapter, of chapter two, but essentially it's hard because it says essentially, it says suck it up. That's what it's essentially saying. Paul's answer to unfairness is to desire the word of God. Verse two, as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. Now notice it doesn't say become like a baby. No, it says desire like a baby. Desire the word of God as a baby desires the milk of their mother. Right, just, you've all heard that pathetic little baby cry when they're hungry, eh, 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 and, and they can't be shut up. Literally can't be shut up until they get what it is. That's what we're asked to do. That's what we're asked to do, desire as that baby, because without that baby getting its milk, it doesn't grow, it doesn't thrive. Without desiring the Word of God, without getting the Word of God in your life, you don't grow spiritually, you do not thrive spiritually. You may just survive, but you don't thrive. You can't grow without the Bible. You just can't grow without the Bible. Without the Bible renewing your mind, challenging your flesh, convicting you of sin. You just don't grow. I've never seen someone consistently grow in God who doesn't make God's word important to them. 
Now, I'm glad to preach the Word of God every week, but don't let this be your only meal. Read it. Ask questions of it. Write about it. Journal it. Read it on a consistent basis and let God speak to you out of it. Everyone that I've seen who's growing in God, they got one thing in common. It's they desire the Word. They desire to live and understand what it is that the Word is saying to them. See, a baby who's hungry can't but help cry out for milk. A Christian who's growing in their faith, especially in the midst of an unfriendly world, needs to hunger and thirst for God's Word. If you want to grow spiritually in a hostile environment, laying aside some things is good, but picking up other things and having a hunger for the Word, that is a better thing to do. We're up to verse 4. 1 Peter 2 verse 4. Coming to Him as a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. You also as living stones are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. When we live with an eternal mindset and not a withering flower grass mindset, God builds us up. We may do things that get us rejected by men, but we become acceptable before God. If your mindset is about withering grass, you care about what men think. If your mindset is an eternal mindset, you care about becoming acceptable and you care about what God thinks. You know, our summit was called Build. And Pastor Joe preached an amazing message on the Saturday morning around this, around this very scripture about Jesus being the, the cornerstone. And so I'm not gonna major on this portion today. This morning, if you haven't listened to Pastor Joe's sermon, please do yourself a favor and go to our YouTube channel and you can listen to it because it was a brilliant sermon. But the next couple of verses explain itself very well. I don't really need to explain it. It says it itself. It doesn't need that much explanation. Verse six, therefore, it is also contained in the scripture. Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. Doesn't matter how bad things are, if you believe in him, it's not gonna end in shame. Therefore to, who, who, therefore, to you who believe, he is precious. But to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble being disobedient to the word to which they were also, look at that, also were appointed. If you believe in Jesus, he becomes the chief cornerstone on which you build your life and achieve your purpose. Jesus is the chief cornerstone to those who believe, but also to those who don't believe. So depending on which category you are, whether you're a believer or not a believer, that then depends on the result. There are different outcome results in depending, depending on which category you are. For the one who believes, the chief cornerstone, that's salvation in all its glorious meaning, and it's got a glorious meaning. But for the one who doesn't believe, it's a stumbling block. It's something they stumble over. They stumble into their destination. 
the English standard, ECV says this, they stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. So it makes it sound like predestination that they're destined to go to hell. No, it's not that. It's saying that the people get the consequences of their choice. And if I keep kicking my dog, one day it's gonna bite me. If I keep lying to people, one day people are not gonna trust me. If I'm constantly angry and finding fault with everything, one day I'm gonna be alone because people just won't wanna be with me. See, if you reject Christ, the chief cornerstone, that's your destination, that's the result, that's the destination that you've essentially chosen to do. Jesus, the chief cornerstone, will be the reason why my life succeeds, but if I reject that cornerstone and try and build my life myself, one day I'll certainly stumble. So now Peter goes on and tells us the value of building on that cornerstone. Verse two, verse nine, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people. We are a chosen generation. We are now choice. We are the best bit. God has chosen us. He wants to be with us. Who remembers the schoolyard? Back in my day, I'm guessing in the 70s, it was a much more brutal place than what it is now. Kind of back then, bullying was kind of encouraged, right? You know, survival of the fittest. Now it's rightfully dealt with, right? But back then it wasn't. And you'd have those schoolyard footy matches or cricket games, right? And, And you'd have to pick people, right? And you'd pick this guy, pick this guy. You always make sure, and then there was that one guy at the end, I went to an all boys school, right? There's one guy at the end who's just like, no one really wants him, right? And, that, and then in compassion, I'd always say, oh, you can come on my team and then get mad at him later for losing us, all right? But um, God chooses you. He chooses you first. You're not the last in line. You're not God's leftover. You're not the guy he has to pick because he's got some measure of compassion on you. You're his choice. You're his first choice. And he chooses you because what he's put in you and who you are, you are the best one at being you. That's why you're the best. It's not about who and what we achieve and all the skills and abilities, the way the world looks. No, it's why this is me. This is what God's put in me. And when we come together, we are the best. He chooses you. You are the best. You are a chosen generation. You're not a compassion pick. You're not a sympathy pick. You're God's first pick because your uniqueness and God's anointing, you can't be anything else. We're then called a royal priesthood. We have a role to play. We have tasks to carry out, but we are also royalty. We are king's kids. That's in the spiritual world, not in the natural world. Don't be going to your boss this week and say, back off. God's my dad. Right? That probably isn't gonna work. Right? You may uh, be in HR before you know it. Right? But to the powers and principalities, to the powers and principalities, we are king's kids. To the spiritual realm, 
We are children of the King. We are God's children. We have status. We have protection. We have protocols. And the enemy can't touch us because we have access to the King. You can't, we can throw our royalty off. We can decide to live as paupers and not take all that Christ has given us. But when we walk in Christ as a king kid, the enemy can't touch us. We are son of the king and we have instant access to the king. He is our father. We are a holy nation. We may feel alone at times, but there are many Christians. There's a lot of Christians. We are not alone. No matter where I am in the world, regardless of language, regardless of culture, if I walk into God's church, I'm going to be welcome. There are people in this room that in no other setting would be together. There are people that, that are, would be in the world kind of natural enemies of each other, but under the banner of Christ, under the banner of the church, we are together. You know, I spoke to my daughter and she just went traveling all over Europe for two months just with her cousin, sometimes by sort of different things. I just said to her, if you ever get in trouble, find the closest church and someone will care. Someone will help you. Someone will give you protection. Someone is gonna look after you. Doesn't matter if you're in Albania, doesn't matter if you're in Spain, doesn't matter if you're in London, doesn't matter where you are, Find a church, someone's gonna care for you. Someone's gonna look after you. We're not alone. There are a billion of us and we are one nation with the same blood running through us, the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. We are his own special people. This leads to the thought of the Jews being God's people. That as a race, he chose them above all the other races of the earth. We are now that people. Now, we haven't taken over from them Right? They are forever God's people. They will forever have God's heart. But now God also looks at us as his special people. He now looks over us. And this is what happens when it happens. It goes, verse nine, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who were once not a people, right? Once you were just, everyone was just doing their own thing, but now we're a people who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. It's the mercy of God that has made us one. It's the forgiveness of God that has made us into his people. These things, a royal priesthood, a chosen generation, a holy nation means that our life is different. What we once were is no longer. We were once darkness, but now we are light. And wherever we go, we're light. Can't hide the light. If it's in you, it comes out. Times might be hard. Times might be tough. Times might be difficult. And there might not be much to praise God for. But you can always, no matter how hard life is, no matter how bad someone's treated you, you can always praise God for, and proclaim the praises of God because he brought you into light. He's showing you mercy. It may be tough, but your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. The world may show you no mercy, but praise the God who is full of mercy. 
Now Peter gets a bit more practical as if he hasn't been. He touches some hot buttons. So sometimes I'm going to just look at the screen. I'm not going to look at anyone, lest you think I'm directing it at you. Just out there, all right? <laughs> sometimes when, when you preach, you want everyone to love you and say nice things. But sometimes you've got to say what the Word says. So please love me afterwards. He says, yeah, life's going to get tough. But maybe you could make it easier for yourselves. The people might have a better attitude towards you if you lived as a Christian should live. And they could see some things in your life that they can't actually speak against. Peter alludes that not everything the world does is going to, what the world does to us is, is the world's fault. Sometimes we may have brought something to bear on them that gives them the reason to have some of the thoughts that they do. 1 Peter 2.11, Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshy lusts, which war against the soul, having your conduct honorable amongst the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your good works which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. God's gonna visit their heart one day. And all of a sudden, they're gonna remember the good works, the things about you. What are they gonna remember? Some of our issues that we have might be because lust gets the better of us. Not just the lust that we generally think of, but the lust for things, the lust for recognition, the lust for revenge, the, the lust for power. There are many lusts in our flesh. Peter says and begs us, actually begs us, not to let our lust dominate us. Lust is when you have a legitimate desire that you try to fulfill illegitimately. Right? It's a legitimate desire. We have, as men and women, a desire for, for sex. Right? God put that in us. But when we deal with it illegitimately, it becomes wrong. But in the confines of marriage where God put it, becomes something that builds us up. God wants us to to want to do well in life and we all got something in our hearts to be significant and to be heard. But when I use that to control people and manipulate, when I try and be someone that I'm not, all of a sudden it's a it's a proper desire, but I perverted what it's actually done. So we can't let our lust dominate us. We make a legitimate desire about ourselves rather than others, rather than the kingdom. See, none of the desires that I just said before are actually wrong until you pervert them. But the world sees it when we pervert it. The world sees it when we're selfish. The world sees it when we have impure motives. The world sees it when we use deceit, envy, and malice. The world actually sees that. So live your life every day knowing that unbelievers are watching. Let it be that your behavior is godly, so they've got nothing bad to say, that in the day when God visits them, when God starts to speak to their heart, there's an openness to what God wants to do. What do your co-workers say about you? Do they say about you the same thing they say about every other co-worker? Because they shouldn't. You should be different. What do your neighbors in your street say about you? 
Do they talk about you the same way that they talk about every other neighbor in the street? Because they shouldn't. You should be different. There should be light. You can't hide light. They can turn away, but they're turning away because they see the light. What good works are they gonna observe about? Well, you. What good works are they gonna speak about? Now, when I'm preaching, I put my finger here, but there are three fingers pointing back at me. I think about this all the time, that people are watching my life all the time, and you can't con people. People know what's in you, so let it be in you. And this goes more challenging stuff. Therefore, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether to the King of Supreme or to governors, as to those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men, as free, yet not using liberty as a cloak for vice, but as bond servants of God. Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. You know, I've actually got a very rebellious nature. My first thing is someone says, you have to do that. I don't have to do anything. I hate it. Never say those words to me. Ask my staff, right? It just doesn't work, right? I don't have to do anything. We had to vote yesterday. And uh, so I went there. But I remember one time going there when I got mad about voting, right? This is, this, you know, get a little glimpse into my weird head. So I got mad about voting. I go, it doesn't matter my vote. It doesn't matter who I vote for. This person's gonna get in anyway. I don't wanna vote. Why do I have to vote? I don't wanna vote. And so I'm a Christian at this time, by the way, right? Long time ago, back in Adelaide days, right? right? But so, so I go there and the lady, I go there, my name's Mark Elmendorf, I live at this address. And she goes, you go and vote now. I go, no, I don't have to vote. I'm not going to vote. No, you have to. You have to, you have to vote. No, I'm not going to vote. I just have to turn up here. I just have to give you my name. I don't have to vote at all. No, you have to vote. I go, no, there's not. Show me where I have to vote. Right? Right? And so I could have just said I'm not going to vote and just taken it and thrown it in the bin. Could have done all that. No, I've got to make an issue about it. Right? I've got to make this thing about it. And like, so did it work? Is the system changed? No. Right? I've made this lady's day horrible. I made my day horrible over something that just doesn't matter, right? It's just this rebelliousness, rebellion just hurts you. Just honour it. If you don't want to vote, just don't. <coughs> With all the nonsense of what's been going on in the last few years, it's been very challenging to a rebellious person like myself, right? I was going, I'm going to go outside, Right? I remember playing golf on the Sunshine Coast and leaving my phone, because I wasn't supposed to go to the Sunshine Coast, and leaving my phone on the car and then driving off and the police ringing me up saying, oh, we, we, we found your phone. I rang up Renato, actually, because and, and, he was with me, right, dobbing you in, right? But uh, uh, <laughs> so, uh, and, and, and like, they, they say, why on the Sunshine Coast? And, I, I had to, and they didn't find me because I walked in really sad, like my phone's broken, thousand pieces. So they didn't find me. That was nice. Right? So it's rebellion, but it doesn't do anything for you. Peter wrote this most likely when Nero was emperor. So the king and the governors that he is speaking of were far more authoritarian, far more totalitarian than any government we have ever had. They're not lopping off our heads, not yet anyway. 
You know, there is a place and a time to stand. There's a way to make our voice heard. You know, I love what Cara Thomas is doing. Cara is just, you know, running this organisation called AMPS. She's speaking and doing it in the right way. Tomorrow she's going to Canberra to go and make representations to the government. So she's able to stand and lift up her voice, but she's doing it in a way that's honourable. And that's what we're asked to do. Let's bring honour in our protest. Let's bring honour when we want to stand up. Let's be very careful in our language and in our heart about how we speak about authority. God allowed them to be there. So it's God's job, not our job to deal with them. And my Bible tells me I've got to pray for my authorities. I'm really going to address authority in chapter 5. So if you don't like this subject, maybe go somewhere else that day because it's going to challenge you. But it's the Bible, let me tell you, it's all true. All right, 1 Peter 2, 18. Servants, be submissive to your masters with all fear. Oh, the time's run out. We're only at, oh, okay. With all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the harsh. For this is commendable if because of your conscience towards God, one endures grief, suffering wrongfully. We obviously don't have slaves. Peter's not saying he's for slavery because like God, he isn't. But he does address people who are slaves because many of the people he's writing to were slaves. Today he's talking about bosses and workers. Be submissive to your boss, whether they're good or harsh. Don't take them to a tribunal. Don't join in with them whenever you complain. Don't wish evil on them, speaking bad about them. Because you have a conscience towards God, endure it and build up credit in the bank of heaven. For what credit is it to you, verse 20, if when you're beaten for your faults, when you've actually done something wrong and you bear the consequences, what's, what, what benefit is out of you and you take it patiently? But when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. People hate it when I read this verse. You know, some marriage counseling cases I've had, I thought someone's gonna punch me, right? That's why I don't do marriage counseling anymore. People don't always like what I have to say. See, they want me to blame someone, make someone the bad person. But when I tell them they're 100% responsible for the 50%, and they may actually just have to take it patiently, and that gets for them a good deposit in God's bank, they don't like it. You know, when someone complains about their boss, their leader, or their situation, I'm not always that compassionate. Because sometimes I think you just gotta get through it. I think I'm in good company. Neither was Jesus. When they woke him on the boat and he was asleep and in his big storm, he wasn't that compassionate. He didn't say to them, oh, are you scared? How are you feeling today? How does that make you feel? Right, he doesn't do that. He goes, where's your faith? Where's your faith? Sometimes the most compassionate thing that you can do is actually get someone to build some resilience. Resilience is commendable before God. Maybe the keys can come. We're almost there. 1 Peter 2, 21. For to this you were called because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us as an example that you should follow his steps. Peter's saying here that some of us are called to suffering. But then he comforts us by telling us that Christ is our example. Listen to what Jesus did. 
Listen, you want to hear unfair situation? Listen to what Jesus did. He committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth. Who, when he was reviled, did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. But he committed himself to the one who judges rightly. If you forget everything else I've said today, remember this scripture. Commit yourself to the one who judges rightly. Let him be your judge. Let him be the one who works it out on your behalf. For he himself, who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sin, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Jesus, when he, was, when he suffered, when he was accused, when wrong was perpetrated on him, didn't fight back. He trusted himself to the one who judges righteously. That's my takeaway this morning. Trust the one who judges rightly. He's the one who's in charge. He's the one who's in control. He's the one who sees and lifts one up, brings another down, opens one door and closes another door. It is God who controls our life, no matter what you think the world is doing. God is able, God is willing, God loves you. He's on your side. So trust Him, look to Him. A third party, a third person, a third situation isn't gonna change what God wants to do in your life. So if you're going through something that's unjust, if you're going through something that's unfair, if you're going through something that you have to endure or persevere, trust Him, worship Him. Come on, let's stand up right now and just raise your hands. And with only the piano, just give God a praise. Praise the God who's showing you mercy. Put your focus on the goodness and the greatness and the largeness of God and not on the unfairness or on the wrongness of the situation that you're going through. Honour God today. Honour God today. He is larger than any government. He is bigger than any problem. He is kinder and more able than any person that has done you wrong. Father, we ask in the name of Jesus that, that we would just honour You today. We honour You in this place today, O oh God. We honour You in this place today, O oh God. We honour You, O oh Lord. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. Church.